Hey there, and welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You can learn more at our website, TimberlakeUMC.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right, friends, this is the sermon portion of the service when we open the scriptures and listen to what God is saying to the church. So if you have your Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 5. You can always follow along on the screen as I read. This is again from the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is teaching his disciples about what it looks like to be his follower, starting with verse 43 of chapter 5. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. May God add his blessing to the reading and the understanding and the doing of his holy word. You've heard that it was said, love the people in your own political party and hate those across the aisle. But I say to you, love those across the aisle and pray for your political opponents. You've heard that it was said, love your favorite candidate and use social media to trash the person that he's running against. But I say to you, love the other candidate too and pray for him to be a good leader. I've noticed something, friends. Maybe you've noticed that when it comes to politics, some Christians in this country seem to check their faith at the door and assume that the teachings of Jesus do not apply that the way of discipleship is no longer applicable and we treat each other uh, the way we ourselves are treated. And the attitude seems to be, well, if you can't beat them, join them. Uh, And, you know, gosh, uh, I guess the leaders get a free pass um, for indecent speech and for bad behavior uh, because, well, at least my guy is not as bad as your guy. Jesus has something to say about this, doesn't he, friends? In the Sermon on the Mount, the most important sermon ever preached in the history of the world is in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7. And Jesus is giving a vision for the church. He's painting a picture for what the community of Christ looks like when we live in the world. And like any good preacher in this sermon, Jesus knows his audience. Okay, so this, the image, the, the, the idea seems to be that the crowds were gathered, but then Jesus is this sort of moving, escaping up onto the mountain, and he's bringing his disciples with him. So he's preaching to his disciples. Now the crowds are overhearing, but he's talking to his followers. He's talking to people who have said yes to following Jesus. Now how, how do we know that? Why is that important? Because the things that Jesus is going to ask them to do in the Sermon on the Mount are not possible without the help of the Holy Spirit. The things that he's going to ask people to do are unreasonable unless you are a follower of Jesus. That's the only way that these things make sense. And so keep in mind, as we unpack this today, these are words, these are expectations for people who confess Christ. Okay, so for the rest of the world, in some ways, we cannot hold them to these same standards. But if you claim Jesus, we can hold you to this, and you can hold yourself to it. For all of us, also our political leaders, 
Those who claim Christ, we can hold them to this standard. So Jesus said a lot of things. He said, you're the salt of the earth. He said, you're the light of the world. He said, you know you're not supposed to murder, but I'm telling you, don't even hold on to anger against your brother or sister. He said, you know you're not supposed to commit adultery. I'm telling you, don't even look at another person with lust in your heart. He said, you've heard an eye for an eye, but I'm telling you, turn the other cheek. And we hear this from Jesus, and we say to Jesus, come on, now be realistic. And Jesus says to us, I'm being real. I am being real. This is the reality of life in the kingdom of God. And it turns out, friends, the problem is not that Jesus is setting his expectations too high. The problem is we have not imagined another way. We have settled for the low, low standard of human behavior. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed how low the standard is for human behavior these days, especially when it comes to politics? We have come to rather like the sin that covers us like dirt, haven't we? And we are like little puppies. And when it comes time to get washed, we would rather go jump in the mud puddle of our sin than we would be bathed in the bathtub of God's grace through our baptism. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And we say, oh, but Jesus, what about the people who have different political ideas than me? What about those across the aisle? I'm supposed to love them too? And you know what Jesus does? He does this right here. You know, the the face palm? Have you seen the face palm, Jesus? He's like, oh. He's like, I love you people so much, but you just don't get it. Yes, even in politics, you have to love your enemy. Especially in politics, you have to love your enemy. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He makes his rainfall on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Okay, so Jesus is saying, look, this is what the children of the heavenly Father do. They love their enemies. Why is that? Because that's what the heavenly Father does. He loves everyone, including his enemies. And this is a good time for me to remind you that you were once an enemy of God, and I was once an enemy of God, and yet God loved us and welcomed us into relationship through Jesus Christ. You see, one of the great things about God is God does not withhold his blessings simply because they are underappreciated. You ever tried to love someone and they don't seem to appreciate it very much? And you're tempted to say, well, fine, I'll show you. See, God doesn't do that. God makes his rain fall on the farmer's field, whether the farmer believes in him or not. God sends the sun to shine on you, whether you are in a good mood or in a bad mood. That's the nature of God's love for the world. And so we are called to do the same. We're called to do the same. So Jesus rejects the low, low standard of human behavior. And instead, he says this in verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Jesus is saying, look, you don't get any special credit for loving the people who love you already. Even wretched sinners do that, right? You don't get any credit for being friendly to people who are already your friends. Even the worst people in this world do that. 
So don't think that you've accomplished anything in that because the standards of Jesus are much, much higher. I've seen a meme on Facebook recently. I wonder if you've seen this. Let's put it up on the screen. People post this on their Facebook page. They say, I don't care who you are, what you look like, or how you choose to live your life. If you're good to me, I'll be good to you. How many of you have seen that out there? Several of you. Okay. I see it a lot for some reason. I see Christian people posting it in earnest. And I'll be honest, it sounds good at first, right? Because it's like, oh, that's non, that's very non-judgmental. Okay. I appreciate that. This certainly sounds better than a lot of the stuff that we've been seeing and hearing on social media. But notice, notice the closing line. If you're good to me, I'll be good to you. Jesus says there's no virtue in that. There's no, you don't get any credit for that. Jesus said, you are supposed to be good to the people who are bad to you. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is for you to love people who hate you. Now, there's virtue in that. You want to talk about getting some, some credit in heaven, you know, storing up treasures in heaven. Go ahead, love your enemy, and see if God won't bless that, friends. But this is just such a low, low standard, just to be good to the people who are good to you. Friends, the call of Christ is much higher the call of Christ is much, much higher. And Jesus concludes this portion of the teaching in the sermon uh, with these words in verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What are we to make of that? Well, the founder of the Methodist movement, the Wesleyan movement, John Wesley, uh, he was a priest in the Church of England. He said, he used to teach in the Bible, every command of Christ is a covered promise. Every command is a covered promise promise. In other words, if Jesus is going to ask you to do something, implicit in that is the promise to help you do it. Okay, He's not going to say, hey, go do it and then leave you to yourself. He's promising also to help you do it. So can we be perfect in this life? Well, we say no, not on our own, but with the help of Jesus, absolutely. We can be perfect in the things that he's asking us to do, including the love of our enemies. Friends, today is week two in our series. It's called 2020 Vision, and we are talking about seeing politics through the lens of faith. We all know that there's an election coming up on November 3rd, and we want to be ready. We want to be ready to do our part, our civic duty, and to exercise our right to vote. That is a good thing. Um, But what we're saying is there's a particular way that Christians participate in politics. And it is determined by the words of this book, by the witness of Jesus Christ and his teaching. So we started last Sunday with kind of a a big picture, overarching narrative of what our Bible and our theology teaches us about the church's role in politics. If you didn't hear last week, please go back and check it out. You can check it out on a, a sermon podcast on your smartphone. You can check it out on YouTube or on Facebook or on the website. So what we're going to do today is we're going to drill down deeper in this idea of the church and politics, and we're going to talk about some habits of faith that will help us to know how to love our enemies in the arena of politics. But before we get to the real particulars, I want to make sure that we're on the same page with what we mean when we say politics and what we mean when we say the church being involved in politics. So let's remember our definition from last week of politics. What are politics? Politics are the local state, or national systems and relationships that humans use to organize, to make decisions, and to distribute resources. Now, again, this is a very neutral idea, right? You can do this in a way that builds people up. You can do this in a way that tears people down. It really depends on how we, how we do it. What I want you to see is the church has a particular way of doing these things. 
The church has a particular way of thinking about human beings and their needs and blessing them, about how we make decisions, about how we distribute the resources that God has entrusted to us. So what I want you to see, friends, as we're talking through this series, it's less that the church is involved or has a politics, and it's more that the church is a politics. And I know the grammar sounds weird to you when you first hear that, but there's a reason for that. So just say it to yourself over and over. Okay, the church is a politics. The church is a politics. In other words, we are a political community who are determined less by voting for Democrats or Republicans and more by the lordship of Jesus Christ and our discipleship as followers of his. The church is a politics. Think back to what you know about the story of Pentecost. 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit of God came into the world with wind and fire, and the purpose of the Spirit of God coming was to establish a community called a church. And this would be a distinctive kind of community with certain characteristics. And the way that the world would know who we are, Jesus said, you are a city on a hill. You are a light to the nations. The world will know who I am by how you live. And the way you will live, Jesus said, is you will love your enemies. And you will feed the hungry. And you will offer new life to sinners. That is our politics. That is the political characterization of the community that is known as a church. Okay, so it's less about accepting some worldly notion of politics, and it's more about living out our faith together as a community as a way to say to the world, there's another way. Hey, look at us. Look at how we're living. Look at how we talk and love each other. This is how God has called us to be in the world. So let's talk specifics. Let's drill down deep and talk about some particular habits of the faith. Okay, so these are ways that we live out our politics in the public square. These are ways that we take Jesus' Sermon on the Mount seriously. This is what it looks like to love your enemies when it comes to politics. Okay, so habit number one, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Now, if, if we're honest, most of us would say we've all got a favorite, right? Truth or love. How many of you are truth people? You're all about the truth. You tell it like it is. Okay, good. How many of you are love people? Just, just can we all just get along, you know? All right? See, what we need is both, friends. What we need is both. And I know we've all got a favorite. But Jesus always spoke the truth, and he always did it with love. Now, this is particularly challenging and needed right now, right, because people are on edge. Have you noticed how on edge people are? As soon as you post something on Facebook, somebody's ready to disagree with you, aren't they? They're just, they're just waiting. They just can't wait until someone posts something. Man, they're going to hit you with their best shot. So we, ha- we still got to tell the truth, but we want to say it in a way that is loving. There's this phenomenon that I see happening, and maybe you've noticed it also, where people are saying, don't criticize our leaders. Christians shouldn't be criticizing. We should be praying for our leaders. What I'm saying to you is, can it not be both? Can we not pray for our leaders and ask God to bless them, but at the same time call them out when they do something that's not pleasing to God and not helpful to people? Isn't it possible to speak the truth and to do it in love? Friends, this is the way of Jesus, to speak the truth in love, to call things out when they need to be called out, and also, yes, to pray for and bless those who lead. 
Uh, just because you voted for someone doesn't mean they get a free pass, right? Just because you, you support someone in their politics doesn't mean anything they do is okay with you, right? Uh, so when something goes wrong, you, you address it, you deal with it. Think about it at work. Let's say someone who reports to you at work messes up. Do you just ignore it or do you talk with them about it? Let's say someone who lives at your house, your children or your grandchildren. Let's say they destroy the living room. Do you just turn a blind eye and say, well, at least they're not as bad as the kids down the street? No, you you address it. You talk about it. You deal with it. You work together to make things better. So why would we accept any less from our political leaders, friends? Uh, Don't forget, our political leaders work for us, don't they? Now, I know that seems like a long-ago concept, but this is we're talking about public service. When you are elected, when you are a leader in a community, like even a church, like I, I work for you, right? I, I'm here to serve you. It's not your job to serve me. It's my job to serve you. Some, some of our leaders have lost this idea of public service. They, they don't understand that that's why they've been elected. Now, I'm grateful for one of our Timberlake people who gets this really well. His name's Leon Brandt, and he's sitting right back there in the corner. And Leon has served on the Campbell County School Board for going on 27 years. And Leon is great. He serves the people. That's why he does it. So if you have a concern, you can call him on the phone, and he'll be glad to talk with you about the things that are on your mind. Now, it's much harder to call the people in Washington and get someone on the phone, isn't it? You, you can't usually expect to get your senator on the phone. I get it. So the distance between here and Washington is only a few hundred miles, but it seems like it might be an eternity as far as that goes. So I get it that holding national political leaders accountable is harder than holding local political leaders accountable, but it's no less important. Habit number two, listen to understand. Listen to understand. Friends, we need to learn how to listen, and we need to learn how to listen so we can understand the views of other people. Despite what you have been told, listening does not mean the same thing as agreement. You know this, right? Just because you listen to a person does not mean you have to agree. It might mean you care about them as a person. It might mean you want to learn from them why they think the way they think. One of the marks of spiritual maturity is being able to articulate the view of your opponent. One of the marks of spiritual maturity is being able to articulate the view of your opponent. I see a lack of this all the time on social media where we post the best version of our candidate's platform and we post the worst version of our opponent's platform. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed this? Friends, it's easy to knock down a straw man, isn't it? But it's, it has much more integrity if we give full voice to articulating our opponent's view, even if you don't agree, but to understand. I love the prayer of St. Francis. The prayer of St. Francis says, Lord, help me not so much to be understood, but to understand. Lord, help us first to understand and then to be understood. Habit number two, listen to understand. Habit number three, acknowledge your bias without apology. Acknowledge your bias without apology. Friends, we all have biases. What I'm saying is, number one, that's okay. That makes you normal. That makes you human. And two, you don't have to apologize for who you are. One of the fallacies of the age of reason in which we're living, one of the fallacies of the enlightenment is that human beings could somehow 
take off their values and their ways of looking at the world and check it at the door like a coat. And then you could walk into a room or into a discussion as a neutral person. There is no such thing as neutral. Okay? There is no such thing as neutral. I will only ever be able to see the world as a white male uh, American who follows Jesus. Those are things about me that are just not going to change. That's who I am. And what I'm saying to you, whoever you are, that's okay. Be that person. And don't apologize. And don't let someone tell you that your opinion doesn't count simply because of one of those characteristics about who you are. Okay, God made us this way for a reason. And that's a good and right thing. Now, should I let my biases become prejudices? No. Now, we go back to habit number two. The way we avoid that is we listen to understand others. Okay, so we can walk a mile in the proverbial shoes of our neighbor so that we can try to understand, but always still be yourself, be who God has called you to be. I'm very aware that our church includes people on the left and people on the right. We have people who are more liberal. We have people who are more conservative. We have people who tend to vote Democrat. We have people who tend to vote Republican. And you know what I think about that? I think that's great. I think that is great because in our diversity, there is strength. We understand and realize that when we get to heaven, not every person is going to look the same, are they? When we get to heaven, not every person is going to think the same or act the same. God has made us differently on purpose. And in our diversity, there is a richness and a beauty that helps reflect the kingdom of God. Okay, number one, speak the truth in love. Number two, listen to understand. Number three, acknowledge your bias without apology. And habit number four, expect more. Friends, we can expect more. We can expect more from ourselves, and we can expect more from our political leaders. You see this. I see this every day. There is a huge gap. There is a chasm in between the current state of things in our American political system on the one hand and the vision of discipleship that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount on the other. And it is your job to remind the world about this gap. Do you know that? It is your job to say to the world, hey, I know this is the way things are right now, but this is the way God wants them to be. And you know what we call this gap between reality and God's vision for us? Sin. We call it sin. So it's not very fun to talk about But it's our job to cast a vision. It's our job to hold up another way of being and say, you don't have to settle for this over here. I know that's the way things are. It's not the way things are always going to be. God's bringing his change into the world, and we can be part of that. We can expect more, friends. We can expect more from ourselves. We can expect more from our leaders. Okay, so start with yourself. Ask yourself, is my political speech wholesome? Is my political speech life-giving? Is my political speech true? Am I living out my discipleship so that others can see Jesus in me when I engage in politics? I see a lot of Christians on social media who seem to forget their faith when they talk politics. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because people are watching. The people of the world are watching. Don't you know this? They're watching us. 
We can expect more from ourselves. We can also expect more from our leaders, friends. Please join me in expecting more from our political leaders. The words, the behavior, the attitude of some of our leaders has been atrocious, hasn't it? It's been terrible. Frankly, it's embarrassing to me. Some of the things that some of our leaders say and do. We've got to expect more from them. Okay, so if while I'm preaching this sermon, if you're thinking to yourself, hey, it kind of sounds like maybe he's talking about my favorite candidate. Please avoid the temptation to think I'm picking on you. Avoid the temptation to think I'm secretly trying to say something that I'm not willing to just come right out and say. And instead, instead of that, look at the life and the words of your favorite candidate and ask yourself, does this person live up to the way of Jesus in this book? Okay. And then secondly, look in the mirror and say, am I living up to the standards of Jesus in this book? Do you realize what's at stake with this, friends? There is an unimaginable amount at stake in this conversation. And here's what I need you to understand. It has very little to do with what's going to happen on November 3rd. It has very little to do with the election. Here's what's at stake. Between now and November 3rd, we're going to be engaged in the political arena. And the people of this world are going to be watching They're going to be listening to what you say and to how you say it. And they are going to make a determination about whether God is real or not based on how you treat your neighbors. They're going to make a determination about whether it's worth it to follow Jesus or not based on whether we love our enemies or not. And if we don't, they'll say to themselves, ha, I knew it, bunch of hypocrites, you know, that Jesus stuff isn't real. But when we do, when we love our enemies and live up to this high standard from Jesus, the world will say, wow, there is another way. And the love of Jesus is real. And maybe, just maybe, I could be a part of that kind of community. Let's pray. Almighty God, you have given us such a hard and challenging word in your scripture And so we confess, Lord, we are not up to it. We are not able to live that way on our own, Lord, so we need your help. Show us, Jesus, who is the way. Give us power and strength by your Holy Spirit. And let us be the kind of community that the world looks at and sees you and your love for them because of our love for each other. And we pray it in Jesus' name.